I feel that my calling at the deepest level is to help encourage and empower others in their work, whatever it is. I want to be inspiring. I want to empower. I want to encourage. So when I go into work, like what I get a kick out of and what I really enjoy in my work is that I get a chance to work with a team and think about how can I encourage this person today? How can I help elevate them in their work? How can I be a really good mirror? Because some people have grown up where they've been told horrible things about themselves. I feel like my calling, my why is like, how can I make their life better? How can I be a good mirror and shine out and recognize those people are doing really, really well and let them know that sometimes that it's hard for them to see it in themselves. Or if you recognize it and you say like, oh, you're really good at that. You're really good at this particular thing. And I want you to know that. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Artist of Data Science. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram at The Artist of Data Science and on Twitter at Artist of Data. I'll be sharing awesome tips and wisdom on data science as well as clips from the show. Join the free open mastermind Slack channel by going to bit.ly.com forward slash Artist of Data Science, where I'll keep you updated on bi-weekly open office hours that I'll be hosting for the community. I'm your host, Harpreet Sahota. Let's ride this beat out into another awesome episode. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Our guest today is a social media strategist, speaker, community builder, Snapchatter, writer, instructor, podcaster, father to two, and husband to one who serves as the director of social media at Experian. Over the last decade at Experian, he's developed and launched B2B and B2C digital and interactive strategies to improve their brand reputation, social engagement, reach, and customer care across all the socials. When he's not doing awesome work at Experian, he's mentoring and teaching social media strategy courses at the University of California at Irvine listening to hip-hop, riding bikes, and indulging in She-Ra fan fiction with his daughter. His numerous strengths include leading with empathy, mentoring his team, and thriving in ambiguity. So please, help me welcoming our guest today, the host of Data Talk and Level Up Leadership Podcast, the bravely, boldly, balding Mike Delgado. I love the balding part. That is so true. <laughs> During COVID-19, everyone's been talking about getting haircuts, and that's one thing I don't have to worry about. I love how you're embracing it, man, because I mean, I'm like, <laughs> just a little bit going here. I'm like, gosh. Oh, well, man, thank you so much, man, for taking time at our schedule to do this. I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast. So can you talk to us a bit about your professional journey? Like, how'd you first get into the social media space and what kind of drew you to the field? That's a good question. I've always worked, I guess I should start back when I was in college. When I first was in college, I was a television film major. I was very interested in becoming a filmmaker. And this is way back in the day when Pulp Fiction came out, Quentin Tarantino, kind of the indie film maker movement was kind of just starting. This is back when like Blair Witch Project came out and I was like just graduating high school and I was like really excited about all the things that were happening in filmmaking and storytelling. And so I was like, I want to get involved in like storytelling and filmmaking. So I started to go to the local junior college and take classes on television production, script writing. I ended up getting an internship and then a job at a local cable station. And there I had my first mentor. His name was Rick Gale, who was just a fantastic 
fantastic friend. He gave me so much good advice and counsel. And while I was working with him, he was the director at the time. Uh, he was working on his own feature films. He told me, he's like, hey, Mike, you know what? Stop taking all these television film classes. Like, you're going to learn that stuff anyways. You need to learn about storytelling. You need to learn about how to tell a good story. That means you need to read. You need to read good stories. So he challenged me to become an English major. And I was like, what? Like, it seems so far-fetched. I was like, I really want to become a good filmmaker, which means I need to learn how to edit properly. I need to how write good scripts. And he was like telling me, like, go back to the basics, become a better writer, become a better communicator. That's where it starts. And so I ended up changing my major, going all in on English literature, which required me to have to study languages. I took it very, very seriously. So anyways, I got my degree in English Lit. At the time, I began working for a cartoon company. So a company that created uh, The Simpsons early on, and then The Rugrats and a lot of Nickelodeon shows. So I started working there and I loved it. I was like, oh man, now I want to take my storytelling and work in the television film and cartoon industry because I love cartoons. And about the second year in, the Rugrats franchise was ending. And I was like so bummed that all these like shows that I loved were like, they have their season, right? And there comes a point where they end. And I was realizing that as I was planning on getting married at that time, like it was such an unstable profession. Like you really had to be all in to be in a television film industry. And with my kind of the way I was feeling, like I really wanted stability. And I was like, oh, even though I love the art of filmmaking, like I was realizing like I'm not really cut out for it because I really need stability. And so that's why I made the decision to shift from filmmaking and, and being in television and cartooning to something else. And I didn't know what that thing was. So anyways, I found my way into copywriting for my very first job. I was like, well, I can write. And I see this job description for copywriter. I'm not exactly sure what a copywriter is, but I'll go and interview for it. Anyways, I got the job. And you know how like sometimes you get a job and you're like scared to death of like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? That, that's the way I felt. I was like, I'm not a copywriter. I don't even know what that means. So I ended up getting books. I got the job and I immediately went to Barnes and Noble to get books on like how to be a copywriter. <laughs> Because I didn't know anything about it. And so anyways, fast forward, I ended up like going all in on like being a good web writer, a blogger, getting in all aspects of digital marketing, pay-per-click campaigns, and social media was emerging for businesses. So I started getting the companies I was at onto at the time, MySpace was huge. Like back then, I beat like, if you weren't on MySpace, you didn't exist. Like MySpace is everything. There's Friendster. There's all these different social networks back then because I was the digital marketing person. I was the writer. That was then my job to make sure that we were on all these different places. And I was telling my companies like, oh, we should probably have a presence on these social media channels. Anyways, fast forward, the company I'm at is like, hey, we're thinking about having a social media manager role. Would you be interested? You've been leading social. And I was like, thank you, but no, thank you. Like, I like working in all aspects of digital marketing. I like being involved in email marketing, pay-per-click, SEO, writing blogs, and social. But I don't want to pigeonhole myself. And I think that's sometimes a struggle for us when we're kind of developing in our careers, we don't want to like get so narrow in something. So I was very, very scared of being narrow because I felt like for job security reasons, I want to be broad. I want to do a little bit of everything. I, I enjoy doing everything. So I said no to that to that role. And that was very, very early on. Anyways, when I came to Experian, which was about nine years ago, I came in as a digital marketer and I came in to work on digital marketing and SEO for the small business division. And so while I was there, like new to the role and again, like trying to understand this new 
industry, learning all that I can. And I was like, man, there's so many smart marketers that are already here at Experian. I mean, we're in like 45 countries. We have like 20,000 employees. I'm like, I can learn so much from other marketers that are here. And they just at that time was launching a new like internal social network at the time. So we can then meet other people at the organization. So that came on like three months into my job. And I was like, finally, a place where I can like meet other marketers. So I created really quickly, like a little like community on this little like internal social network for Experian. And I started just like collecting tips and asking people for advice and create basically a little social network, a little community of people kind of sharing reports. So I started like my own little internal email marketing campaign to keep everyone alerted about different campaigns that were going on. And that became almost like a case study internally that, hey, communities can work internally. So I get I started getting brought into these different conversations that Experian about, hey, what are you doing? How are you building this community? And I'm like, I'm just curious. Like, I just want to learn how to become a better marketer. And there are people that have been doing this for a really long time. And so uh, anyways, from that, doing that internally, I got asked to, hey, at the time we had agencies running social for, for Experian. And they said, hey, you know what? You've been doing social internally for Experian in a very short amount of time. Would you be interested in doing this externally? And so that led to like the very first kind of official social media role, which was about eight years ago. And when I found out who my boss was going to be, I was like, yes, yes. And I have the most amazing boss. I've had him for eight years now. He's been a tremendous mentor. And I think whenever I chat with people about like kind of as you choose jobs in your career, like where to go. Like I've definitely had a lot of bosses who were good at what they did, but they weren't great at, you know, mentoring or maybe guiding me in my own career. And maybe they didn't get to get that training early on for themselves. And so they're just modeling what they've seen. But when I got Jerry as a boss eight years ago, and I saw the way that he treated me, how he brought me in, how he was mentoring me, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be like him. I have so much to learn about leadership. And he gave me so much freedom and trust. And so I've been with him ever since. And then through it. I've been able to just, you know, build up my own team and I've grown immensely. And, uh, and so I said like, so it's very interesting my path because I never set out to be in social media or even to get into podcasting or to do the video work that I do. Like it was not, it just, be, it just became part of what I do. Anyway, so that's kind of my, my journey in a nutshell. Are you an aspiring data scientist struggling to break into the field? Well, then check out dsdj.co forward slash artists to reserve your spot for a free informational webinar on how you can break into the field. That's going to be filled with amazing tips that are specifically designed to help you land your first job. Check it out. dsdj.co forward slash artists. That's quite an interesting journey. And you brought me back with like a Friendster because I was on Friendster back in the days. And then also with the Rugrats, like Tommy, Chucky, Phil, Lil, Angelica, the crew, man. That's awesome. You're on it. Uh, yeah, man. Those Rugrats was very much like my childhood. I love that show. So I question for you just out of curiosity on how to build community because I'm trying to build a community to go along with this podcast that I've created. I created like a Slack community where you know, I've gotten some people to come in there and I am you know want them to come in and share their experiences and ask questions 
things on data science and machine learning and, and you know the job search process, but haven't been able to get the engagement and the I guess just the the activity that I would like to see in that community. Do you have any tips for me on how I could kind of develop that? I mean, because there's people in there, there's 200 people, but it's wow. it's just like it's like the Google circles. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. And and that's the thing. It's like community is so hard to start because there are so many distractions that are out there. There are so many other communities that we spend time in ourselves. So it takes a lot of commitment for someone to go, I'm going to invest my time and resources into this new community. I've started a couple different communities at Experian. One is the credit chat community and that's on Twitter. So every single Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, we have a credit chat where we're talking about really important financial topics. And that's been around for eight years. And it's been fascinating seeing that community thrive and grow. And there's going to be ups and there's downs, but like the beginning is always the hardest part. And I have, I've failed miserably at starting communities. I'll share with you like the very first community that I had success in, and that was the internal community at Experian. That was the one where I was very, very curious on how do I learn from others on digital marketing? And how do I, I was seeking out basically mentorship. I was seeking out advice. And I knew that there are people in the organization that wanted to share advice and wanted to be mentors, but there was no platform. And so it, it was for me, it was a lot of one-on-one. So I created this space and now, now you're, you're, you have a Slack group. But for me back then, it was this own little kind of forum, basically, very archaic forum. This was a place where I was then posting out thoughts and questions and then I would go out and email specific people. I would DM basically back then, wasn't DMing. Basically, I would message certain people and be like, hey, I have this question and I posted here. I was wondering if you can respond to it. I would love to get your take on it. And I think it would provide value to others in the community. It was really a lot of me reaching out to specific people, driving them back to the question that I knew that they would probably want to share their thoughts on, that they were experts in, to then share their thoughts. And then once they shared that thought, I would then go out to others and flag it and let them know, hey, we're discussing this. I'd love to get your point of view on this. And then they had add on top of it. So basically, it was like a lot of just one-on-one, like reaching out to specific people that I knew could answer it and kind of beginning a conversation. And then I would be the one like always following up with like, that's fascinating. I'd love to learn more about this, right? And trying to get that conversation going. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of one-on-ones, very time-consuming. That's the thing about community building. It's time-consuming. It takes time to bring people over to answer a question. And so you want to make it as easy as possible. You know, I found that just driving people over to a page wasn't that useful. I had to give them an action. Like if I just drive them to the community, there's like all these things they can look at. There's all these different questions and comments. If you're not focused on what am I exactly doing there, then it can waste time on on them and you. Like, so I was very direct and I would say like, hey, I'm trying to get this discussion going around this topic. I know you're an expert in this area. If you have any wisdom, I would love to hear your advice here. And if they shared, great. If they didn't share, share, then I would go out to somebody else. But then like slowly, as you're kind of focusing on one thing, one topic, and that's the other thing I would share, like especially with data science or anything, like there's so many different where areas to go. But in the beginning, you want to be very niche, like focusing on one thing. And, and that way, people are focused on that one topic. And then over time, it can split off. I mean, I think about Reddit, right? Like Reddit, I love the Reddit community. But you think about over time, all these really niche Reddit started up on specific topics. And the people that are interested in those specific topics, 
topics kind of gravitate to them and eventually start participating in the questions. And then once you have moderators, and that's the other thing to scale community, it can't just be you. Like you're going to need other people who are who are evangelists for your community. Like they like what you're doing. Or like, hey, I want to help out. Let me help out like on these days. I'm going to come in. I'm going to help get conversation going. I'm going to like give props to people. And that's where like having evangelists, having people who can help you in the process to help scale community. That's like kind of the second stage. But a lot of it in the beginning is like that one-on-one work. And I think also it takes a lot of, a lot of work. And sometimes we are hard on ourselves because we're like, oh, we're focused focused on like, we didn't get that much engagement or we didn't get as much posts as we wanted that week. Well, you know what? Getting one reply that week might be huge. Like someone shared a thoughtful insight. It's not just the number of interactions. It's not just the number of likes or shares or comments. It's like, what else? Like who's involved? Like who's actually taking time to give a thoughtful response? Like to me, that can be a huge win. I've had some tweet chats that didn't go so well, that they that wasn't very active. And I looked at the numbers, like our engagement numbers or our reach numbers, I could say like, oh, when I look at today's chat versus last chats, this one really failed. But then when you start looking qualitatively of like, no, what actually was happening? Were people touched? Were was like really insightful things shared that was never shared before? So there's also the qualitative side to it as well that's really important because just looking at the hard numbers sometimes can be depressing, right? So it's like, what other things, like the numbers, like, oh, you had 200 plus people are in the community. That's great. Like that's like, a, that's, a, that's a huge accomplishment. And now it's like, okay, now how do we then kind of move this community to begin having discussions and thoughtful discussions around important topics that everyone's concerned about right now? Yeah. So I say like, don't be hard on yourself. Like it takes time. We're all like every community, every niche is different. And we're all trying to figure things out. When I started Data Talk six or seven years ago, before it was a podcast, it was a tweet chat. Failed miserably, Herbeat. I started this tweet chat, kind of like credit chat, but it was around data topics. And I was doing a lot of outreach. And I spent a lot of time finding people who have you're tweeting about a topic, forming questions, and then very little interaction was happening in the tweet chat. And so during that time, I was realizing that part of the value wasn't just the engagement. Yeah, the engagement wasn't very great. And if you're looking at the numbers, you'd say it was a failure based on previous campaigns I've worked on. But I was like, also the other success was the network, the people I was chatting with, those relationships are he- like, I don't know how you put numbers on relationships. Yeah. Right. So it's like, that is huge. And so I think you have to just kind of don't be too hard on yourself, set up metrics that matter to you, the relationships you're building, the people, the type of people that have joined your community. And then like, what are they saying? Like, how is your community different? And how are people helping out differently than other communities that are out there? Yeah, that's really great advice as well for even just data scientists active on LinkedIn who are trying to build their own personal brand. So thank you for sharing that because people are out there and they're posting and they're kind of hesitant to continue posting because they don't get that engagement that they're hoping to get. But that was really good advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. So, you know, speaking about community, speaking about data scientists now, I'm curious, what's the working relationship like with you and the data scientists at Experian? Well, that's a really good question. Oh, I was going to say one more thing about building community really quickly. So, and for those that are trying to build their influence, their community on LinkedIn, the number one thing I would say is don't focus on your own posts, focus on everybody else's. So if you want people to engage with your comments on your posts, like you got to be actively engaging on others, right? And I see like, there's so many great people on LinkedIn, they're influential. And I've noticed the people that are influencers are the ones who are most active in like engaging with others. And so that's like the number one thing I would say is like, don't focus on your 
your own posts, focus on everybody else's. And if you were just to chime in on, make a goal for yourself to chime in on five other people's posts that you want to talk with, like that's far more effective than creating one post. So I'll just leave it at that. Okay, so you're talking about uh, relationships with, with data science at Experian. So that's a really good question. So what's interesting is that my role, so I work in the social media team for global and North America. And the way that social media is held at Experian, sometimes social media is under marketing teams at companies. A lot of times that's where companies will put social media is under marketing because there's that business function of getting leads and building awareness. At, at Experian, social media is under public relations. Now, we certainly have social media roles in different business units, but the way that where I'm placed is under really PR. So that's really where I sit. And I really think that that's kind of the best place for a social media person to sit is really in the PR team because you're part of building the reputation. You're helping to build connections with influencers and journalists. And that's what you're there for. And then part of that is then, then like being thoughtful about how do I go about to market knowing that I am, you know, have built these relationships with all these other influencers and, and journalists. So to answer your question, like my relationship with data scientists is basically when I chat with them in data talk. So I'll be emailing with them. We'll be chatting about different things and I'll be, I'm there to support them on social. So when I see data scientists experience posting things, I'm like, yes, like, comment. I'm there to support them. And then I'm always keeping an eye on various data scientists in different roles around the globe, seeing what products they're working on, things that they're allowed to talk about. And then we'll ask them like, hey, I'd love to chat with you about your journey, things you like working on, and then things you're working on for experience if you're interested. And and you'll notice that for Data Talk, like it's a mixture. Like I'd say like 90% of those podcasts are external because really it's about getting that larger conversation going about what's important to the data science community and not being selfish, but we're just showcasing experience talent. So I'd say 90% of it is external, 10% is internal. Yeah, so I don't sit with the data scientists. We have a data lab out in Oceanside, which is about an hour away from our corporate office. And I've only been there a handful of times, but the leaders there that I've met are fantastic. We have another podcast called Level Up, which is all about interviewing our different leaders at Experian. And we featured two of our heads of data labs, one in Brazil and one here in, in Oceanside. And they are, I mean, like fantastic guys, like amazing, amazing people. So where do you see kind of the interplay of social media and data science kind of heading in the next couple of years, let's say two to five years. Over the last four or five years, especially with the Data Talk Twitter chat that no longer exists, and then with the podcast, my connections on LinkedIn are primarily now people who are data scientists. And so, and I've just been seeing just tremendous growth in the people that are building community and the interactions that are happening. I don't know. I, I'm just seeing like, as far as like what I'm predicting is like more networks, more growth, more smart discussions, more niche discussions as people start to venture off into, you know, a data ethics, data philanthropy. Right now, I just got this book called Race for Technology, which is all about like dealing with race and data. And so like, there's all these various ways that very important issues that we need to be addressing. And so I just see things continuing to grow more discussions. And I'm really excited. Like I'm really and I'm not a data scientist. So a lot of the times when I'm seeing these posts, especially when they're talking about things about programming languages or or different things or things about machine learning, I'm like, I have no idea what they just said. But when I see like the engagement, how much power passion is there. And I'm starting to see like things splinter off into different really important issues. 
Like that excites me. That that really excites me. And I've been watching other places like there's LinkedIn groups, there's Facebook groups, obviously Reddit is there's great communities there. And by the way, like when I was first doing research on like where to host the data talk community on as far as social platforms, back then uh, Slack wasn't popular. But when I, when I was first doing the investigation, my initial gut was like, oh, LinkedIn is the place. That's where business conversations are happening. And but whenever I went to LinkedIn groups, I didn't see like a lot of activity. There seemed to be some spam and I didn't really get a lot. Of, I didn't see a lot of great engagement there. I would love to see LinkedIn change out the way they run groups and turn them into like Slack kind of interface. Like I think that would be a smarter way to go. So LinkedIn, like even though I felt like that's where people are at and I'm seeing meaningful discussions happening there, I wasn't seeing a lot of great engagement. Then I started doing investigations into Facebook and typing in things like AI, big data, analytics. I'm seeing these Facebook groups of like 30,000 people. And I'm like, what? Wow. That is fantastic. So then I would start joining these groups. I'm going, man, this is a place where things are happening and you wouldn't think it at the beginning. But then I was like, man, I'm like Facebook, people all around the world are spending time, especially in my age demographic, spending time in Facebook and it's a place to talk and there are fantastic Facebook groups. And so actually there's a data talk Facebook group. And I think we have maybe eight or 9,000 people who have wow. joined that group and it's, it's evolved over time and I'm doing terrible with moderating. But anyway, so... I want to also share that with you that there's other places to, to create yeah. community to also kind of get the word out. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. To be honest, I wouldn't have thought that there would be data science communities that large on Facebook. Like I had kind of had that preconceived notion that LinkedIn would be kind of the the place for data scientists, but that's really, really insightful. Thank you for sharing that. So I'm curious, what do you think some of the biggest concerns are going to be for social media and society you know, in the next two to five years? Well, I think right now, you know, the big issue that's on everyone's mind is privacy and also the way that misinformation has spread on social networks. And I think right now during COVID-19, watching the way that Twitter has responded, watching the way YouTube has responded by like, basically if I upload a video around COVID-19, number one, there's not going to be any advertising attached to it. So that kind of reduces the amount of spam because you can't make money off of it. I think that's smart. And then there's an automatic automatic link that YouTube puts up for people to get information from the CDC. So people can get information directly from either the Center of Disease Control or the World Health Organization, like very smart, right? And then they're doing manual audits too, because they're trying to reduce the spread of false information. Because if people are spreading information around, here's a cure for COVID, take this, you know, household detergent or whatever it is, or take this ginger plus apple cider vinegar mixture, and that's going to help you. Like, obviously, there's a responsibility that we all have to fly that content, make sure it gets taken down, because that can be hurtful to society. And I think social networks are doing a much better job of flagging content, having the community flag content to take things down. So I think that that's one of the big areas that during COVID, and we're just trying to like, how do we do a better job of policing misinformation on social media? And then the other thing is around privacy and social networks are kind of giving people more ways to kind of lock down their information. So those that want to be more public can, and those that want to be more private can. And so I think those are two kind of big issues that I'm seeing a lot of conversation around and there are good conversations to be having and they'll probably be around for a really long time. Yeah, especially now because you mentioned there's these really niche communities, right? And in a sense, you know, I have been thinking about this. We have citizenship based on where we live. But now the world is becoming virtual, digital. We also hold citizenship in these communities. So like kind of like virtual citizens of, you know, these communities. 
what can we do to make sure that we're being better citizens in whatever virtual community that we're a part of? That's actually a question we need to always be asking ourselves. Like that's the question. How can I do a better job of serving the communities that I'm in? How can I be a better help? Like we should always be asking that question. That's a very, very good question. And to me, it's like, how am I helping to encourage people? What am I doing to support the right voices in the community? Sometimes it shouldn't be my voice. You know, right now, when I look at everything going on with the Black Lives Matters movement, I'm like, my voice does not need to be amplified here. There are a lot more important voices that need to be amplified. So I'm using my social media to just retweet, reshare out important voices. When I saw Barack Obama's comment that he tweeted out, like I took that and I just shared that on LinkedIn. Right now, I'm just using my platform to share out other voices. And I think that being part of a community means like knowing when to be quiet, knowing when to elevate other people's voices that are more important than yours. And then also, how do I encourage the right types of discussion? And then also, the hard thing sometimes is knowing when to, how do you protect your community from misinformation, from bullies, from those who are tearing people down? I think Reddit has really nice policies in their subreddits around, you know, a lot of moderators take things very, very seriously. They're trying to reduce hate speech, reduce bullying. They want people to be focused on the topics. It's okay to challenge ideas. That's what community is about. Let's challenge ideas. Let's discuss ideas, but don't tear down the people. And so that's where being a good community manager is super important is like, how do I encourage the right conversations? How do I steer the community to be talking about other issues that we need to be talking about, bringing awareness to things? So that means like, we need to be always educating ourselves on what are the issues right now, you know, in data science, I need to be paying attention to what are the complaints? What are the challenges? What are the things we need to be talking about? And then how do we also handle those people who are maybe trying to make it difficult or silence? important voices. Because unfortunately, there's trolling, there's people who are just there to tear people down. And I don't put up with bullying. If I start to see that, I mean, I have in my communities, I'll have very clear guidelines. And I'll reach out to people, even though I'm all about transparency and everything. Like if I see something that is like totally hate speech and bullying, I will contact that person, I'll delete their post and explain why and get them another opportunity. Like, look, we need to have civil discussions. And your opinion matters, but there's a right way to share your opinion. But if you're going to clog it with profanity, to be hateful, to be spiteful, be hurtful, which can then silence other people, other important, like, because people see that, it's like, why would I want to speak up? Because I know that there's going to be someone who's going to be like all over me. Like you, the whole idea is like, how do I encourage a thriving community? Which means like, yes, part of any sort of community and building relationships means there's going to be conflict. Of course there is. People are going to disagree. I think about me and my wife, we've been married for like 18 years and we still, like, we love each other. We're united. We agree on so many different things, but there are issues that we disagree on. And it's about like, how do we work through those issues together and being thoughtful and loving towards each other? And like, and that's the same type of attitude you need to have when you're in a community is like, have empathy, try to look at it from their perspective. And that's on both sides. That's on whatever political spectrum you're on. Empathy, like try to understand the other viewpoint. If you can come at it from that and be growing in compassion and empathy and educating yourselves on all sides, all of the different perspectives, including the middle perspectives. I think that's the healthy way to approach it. But yeah, being a community manager and trying to elevate community means like knowing when to get involved and having to stop the bullying. 
Very beautiful message, man. Thank you so much for sharing that. So question for you, I came across one of your old podcasts on SoundCloud and it was a podcast that you're recording in your car. And I really mm. like the content that you're putting out on that and a few things that, that really resonated with me. One of them in particular was you had tips on how to find your why. Um, mm. So I was wondering if you can kind of speak to that. Like how can somebody find their why? Oh my gosh, Harpeet, you like, you like dug in. <laughs> In my old podcast, I'll say that. So part of like working in marketing and podcasting has been experimentation. So that podcast, which I called it downshifting, was basically how do I improve my public speaking? How do I become a better communicator? Well, one way I can do it is by in my hour long commute, sit there and record a podcast. And so I would just like put an MP3 recorder on and just record a show. <laughs> so every day I was kind of coming up with a new topic. I never really knew what I was going to get into. So it's funny. I don't even remember me talking about finding your why. <laughs> But I think as I think about that now, because I think sometimes our answers change over time. And if you're asking me that, obviously, obviously you're asking that right now. I mean, that's this part of evolution, part of personal growth, right? It's like, you know, our answers to certain things will change because we have like a new perspective on things. So yeah, definitely. I would would love to hear your... your Okay. (laughs) In the moment, wrong. Yeah. yeah. So I'll tell you that part of my why is that I feel that my calling at the deepest level is to help encourage and empower others in their work, whatever it is. Like I want to be inspiring. I want to empower. I want to encourage. So when I go into work, like what I get a kick out of and what I really enjoy in my work is that I get a chance to work with a team and think about how can I encourage this person today? How can I help elevate them in their work? How can I be a really good mirror? Because some people have grown up where they've been told horrible things about themselves. They've been discouraged. They've been mistreated by bullies. Maybe they were parented by a bully and they've been told a lot of negative things. I'm thinking about, I feel like my calling, my why is like, how can I make their life better? How can I be a good mirror and shine out and recognize those people are doing really, really well and let them know that? Because I find that some people, especially people who have gone through trauma, sometimes that it's hard for them to see it in themselves. Or if you recognize it and you say like, oh, you're really good at that. You're really good at this particular thing. And I want you to know that sometimes they'll just, they'll discard it. Like, oh, thank you for saying that. But they really don't. They're thinking like, oh, they think I'm really smart, but I'm really not. Like I must have fooled them because that that self-doubt comes in. Mm -hmm. And so part of my my why is like, I want to just be known as somebody who's just loving, shining a light on people that are doing really good work, elevating those people and just elevating the really good people in my life. And this podcast that I other this other podcast I have called Level Up, the whole goal of that has been like I want to highlight the great leaders that I've met at Experian. Like these are people who I think should be role models for everybody. And so that particular podcast is people that are employees at Experian that have nominated people, leaders, and said they're a good leader. We should recognize that person. And so level up is definitely that. It's all about like, how are we, I want to I showcase the good in different people. Not, not to say that we don't all have problems. We all have areas that we can improve on. And that's part of being a good mentor and leader is to address those things. But I want to be known for like shining a light on the good stuff and getting more of that good stuff out. And so part of me is being a good dad. Like my why is like, I love my kids and I want them to grow. I want them to succeed. I want them to be creative and I want them to be grow up to be loving, compassionate people. And so that means that if I want my kids to be like that, I need to model that here. And what I'm doing, I need to model that as I'm with my wife. Like how am I showing my wife compassion? 
passion and love. I want my kids to see that. And when I deal with them, I want them to know that that's the way I am with them. So I think like finding your why, it takes time and, and the why can change, right? Your why can change over time. Yeah. And I think that it just takes introspection. It takes a while sometimes to figure out like what you feel your calling is. But once you kind of know, the light turns on and you're like, oh my gosh, like how can I be, a, like for me, I'm like, how can I be a better, better husband today? Like how can I be encouraging my wife today? How can I be a better dad today? How can I be a better boss today? How can I be a better colleague, right? Like I'm thinking about those questions. And so I hope that kind of answer, that's how I'm kind of thinking yeah. about my why, like how do I help? Yeah. And right now with, with the Black Lives Matter movement, I'm like, how can I be an ally? How can I be a better ally right now? I'm realizing like, dude, I have not done the research. I have not spent time reading the stats on police brutality, on our black communities, getting killed by police officers and unarmed black men and women being killed. I mean, I was like, I have so much work to do. And so like part of this like growing and becoming better people is like, for me, my why is like, how can I be better? How can I continue to uplift others around me? It's beautiful, man. It's absolutely beautiful. I like that point that you put in there about introspection. Like you need to take time to just search inside yourself and just be by yourself. No externals, just, you know, with yourself, with your thoughts and really distill down what it is that you actually want and pursue it. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, you've mentioned you've been able to speak to a number of great leaders through your Level Up Leadership podcast. What do you think are some of the key qualities of a good leader? Like what is it that makes a good leader from, you know, what you've been able to observe and how could somebody cultivate those qualities within themselves? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm just jotting down um, stand up to me as I think about some of these leaders. I think number one, the quality that I find really important that not a lot of people do, but I find it really important is compassion, like a caring leader. That's a very important quality to me. It's usually not in the list. If you look up the list of like, what makes up a good leader, it's generally not in the top five, but compassion like actually caring about the team, the projects, like that is super important to me. And that means like empathy, like empathy has got to be there. And, and that means like, along with that means like humility, like realizing you keep asking questions, realizing that we don't know everything. We need to be asking questions of our, of our colleagues, checking in on them. But I think compassion and empathy are like really huge qualities that is something that you don't learn in school, right? Like you go to school and you can learn the hard skills. You can learn the maths you can learn the, the coding. For me, I can learn, and I wasn't in that world, but I was in the English lit, the humanities. Like I can go and take the tests and learn about how to answer certain things. And I could be skilled in certain hard skills. But when it comes to EQ and empathy and compassion, there isn't like, oh, you can take that class and now, I'm, now I have empathy, right? Those are traits that sometimes come over time. And I have found that I've learned the most from, unfortunately, the tragic moments in life. I have found that in my own failing, in my own, my own mistakes, that I have grown the most in empathy and compassion. It's taken me a while and I'm still going to keep learning. Like, this is the thing, like empathy and compassion should like be one of those things that constantly grows. Like there's never enough. And so I feel like that's a huge thing that I find is super important for leadership. Obviously, honesty is huge. Authenticity is huge. Like, how do you trust somebody if you can't, if they've lied to you? And then I think another important thing for leaders and for all of us is like, how do we, how do we adapt, right? I think about right now, as we've all like adapted to working from home, we're adapting to this new normal for this period of time. We talk about like, oh yeah, and sometimes we put in our bios or on our resumes, like quick to adapt, right? That's like a thing to say. It's another 
everything to actually do it. And right now we're seeing how hard it is to adapt. Like some of us have adapted very well. Others, like it took me a while. I'm still adapting. I'm still like figuring things out. My kids might come in through the door right now, you know, and I'm doing a podcast and like, you're kind of just dealing with things. So adapt, I think adapt, learning to being able to adapt quickly is important. And then two other things I'll say, a curiosity obviously is huge. Like the innovative leaders at Experian that I've talked to, just hyper curious. Like they ask really good questions, really thoughtful questions. They're always asking questions. And some, some almost to the point where like, you might say the person's annoying because they're asking so many questions, but like the really innovative people are like always asking questions. Like, what can I be doing better? Is this the right way to be doing this? Is that the right project? Could we be doing something a little bit different? right? Like always asking that question, not ever growing complacent is super important. And so I'm always asking like my current thing, like it could be anything from the way that I'm looking at my email. Like I'm looking at my email too much during the day. Is that really effective? Shouldn't I just be looking at email one time in the morning, once in the afternoon and once before I log off? Like, is there a better way for me to be managing my time right now? Like always asking those questions. So I think like being curious and the last thing I'll say is being able to laugh at yourself, I think is also super important and generally not on the list of like, what a, what a leader is, but like not taking yourself too seriously. Cause like, seriously, life is hard. There is a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of difficult things going on. We're going to make mistakes. I'm going to get asked questions. I don't know answers to, and I can't pretend to have an answer. So I need to be like, I don't know. And also I can't take myself too seriously. Cause I'm not, I'm a student. I'm, I'm always going to be a student. And so I think like being able to laugh at yourself and not take yourself too seriously is also high on my list. It's interesting because all those qualities are qualities that, I mean, they don't teach those in books. They don't teach those in business school. They don't teach them anywhere. You have to learn them from yourself through some form of introspection or through life experience, right? So those things I feel like that cannot be taught are often the hardest things to learn. Interesting. Yeah. Paradox there. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll say like a lot of, a lot for me, the, a lot of ways I've grown through this stuff, unfortunately has been through tragic moments through some of my own traumas, things that I've gone through. And coming out of that has helped me immensely in growing in compassion, in empathy, self-care, the importance of introspection, being alone. Like for me, I have to be alone every morning just to process my thoughts. And each of us are on our own journeys. And so that's just how I'm I'm kind of wired. I love it. You know, data scientists, we tend to spend a lot of time researching, coding, doing some pretty mentally intensive work. And as you mentioned, it's a new normal for everyone now. And being, uh, I think the term you use that people put on the resume is uh, quick to adapt or, or being yeah. flexible, right? Do yeah. you have any tips on how you know, we, we can boost our productivity and stay refreshed during these work from home days. Yeah. And that's like another one of those questions, like I'm, I'm thinking about all the time because as COVID-19 came here and then even as we've been going through different issues, how do we recharge? How are we being able to stay focused on tasks when we need to be. I I certainly believe there's times to take breaks. I think part of being a productive, good employee, good worker means like knowing when you need to take a break. And I was actually just talking to my team this week about like, take a break before you think you need a break. Because sometimes by the time you think you need the break, like I need to take a mental health day today, like that's almost too late. Try to take a break before that. Like when you start to sense, like I'm starting to get anxious. I'm starting to, I need to just slow down a little bit. Like that's like the first kind of signal, like, Hey, you know what? And I always tell my team, like, take the day, like, please like take care of yourself. That comes number one, because if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not being compassionate to yourself, it's going to be very, very hard for you to be compassionate and loving to others. And it's also going to be hard for you to be totally in and excited about your own work, right? You're going to burn out. Excellent point. I'm actually uh, reading a book right now. It's on Audible, uh, but share with you. It's called The 
power of self-compassion. Ooh. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's really cool because it's eight or ra- rather ten courses. Each chapter is a course, and then they have a meditative practice at the end of each course. So it's really really been helpful for me. Like last, I love that. I was doing my research on you, and I noticed that. Like me, you are a early riser, 4 a.m. Is it still 4 a.m. in these days? I do get up, yes. I've gotten back to my 4 a.m. schedule. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, this question is totally personal just to help me out because I've noticed ever since, you know, moved into this work from home COVID world and now, you know, I've got this newborn here. I used to have a really regimented morning for the longest time. I'm up at 4 a.m. Like, you know, at that time, the time I'm on the toilet taking a dump, like, you know, that yeah. was regimented. And I go downstairs, I do my exercise, do my, you know, meditation, Good for my, you. my journaling. I did all that and it was yeah. great. And I was able to maintain it for a little bit of time, you know, maybe the first two and a half, three weeks of this work from home situation, this COVID situation. And then it slowly started to unravel and it's mm-hmm. all but disappeared. And now throwing a newborn into the mix, it's pretty mm. much almost gone. Do you have any tips for me on how I can kind of regain that momentum and get back into the groove of things. Yeah. And like when there's like big life events like COVID-19, like having a baby, like those are huge shifts where talk about adapting. Those are huge moments of anxiety, huge moments of stress. And so of course, things are going to be thrown off and it might take a while and you have to be kind of compassionate to yourself to maybe get back to your routine. And maybe your routine is going to be shifted for a little bit. It might be totally different for the next couple of years as your, as, um, your son. Yeah as your son is, is getting older and just being compassionate with, with yourself, like, okay, my morning is going to look a little bit different during this period of time. And then it's going to change to this. And, you know, as my kids have gotten, gotten older, you know, when my daughter was born, we had a lot of medical issues and I was getting up at 3am during that time. And we were like with my daughter, like 24 seven. So my wife was w- up with her till three, then I would take over from three until the afternoon. And so like, we have to be very just patient with ourselves when there's big changes in life and recognize that when big events happen, marriages, divorces, new relationships, weddings, new job, like all that stuff, things are going to shift for us. And I'll tell you like my routine, like I would get up uh, before COVID, get up at four o'clock in the morning, sometimes three in the morning because I'm crazy. And I don't even have an alarm clock. I'm just like wired like that. I'm like, I don't want to wake up that early. This is crazy. They're like, this is not good that I'm waking up this early, but I would like get up go to the gym or go running on a local trail and then go to take a shower, change, go do some reading for about an hour uh, at a coffee shop. And then I'd go to work because I always love my morning. So I would have about, right now I have like three to four hours to myself every morning. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's my morning. Like I'm very fortunate to have that time because I get up at you know three or four in the morning and then I'm not really with people until <laughs> yeah. about eight right? Eight or nine. But when COVID happened, all of a sudden, like, oh, I can't go to the gym. Oh, I need to stay inside right now. I can't just head out. I don't have, and actually right during the very beginning of it, Harvey, like I had no desire to even read. Like reading has been a part of my routine. Like I love reading, Mm -hmm. but I was so like stressed out and anxious inside. Like if you were talking to me, early, like four or five weeks ago, if you asked me oh, how things are going, I'd be like, oh, things are great. Like, I'm just totally like, I'm fine. I'm working. Everything is fine. But inside, like I wasn't okay. Like I wasn't sleeping well. I was productive and getting tons of work done and working probably more than I should. But inside I was really stressed and I couldn't focus. I couldn't like read a book. I couldn't sit down and just meditate. Like I couldn't do any of that. And it wasn't until actually three weeks ago where I actually was like, okay, I'm reading again. I'm journaling again. I'm going on long walks by my myself again and just being in silence and being okay with silence. 
because for a long time, I needed during the beginning of COVID, I couldn't have silence. I had to be like listening to music, listening to books. Like I need that distraction, and I didn't want silence because silence can be scary because like it's your thoughts. And during silent moments, this is where you begin to process things. And I have a therapist. My therapist is like, "You got to journal. You got." So I'm like, "Okay." I wasn't being good about processing things, and so it's take. It actually took me a while. I mean, it was literally the last three to four weeks where I actually picked up a book again mm-hmm. and began to read and underline and began to enjoy my books and began to enjoy my silent moments. But it took me a while. And if we have another big change, I might go back to being stressed out and needing to shift again. But I'd say be patient with yourself and build a new routine that's going to work for you right now. And maybe maybe you're going to you're going to do things in the evening now for a while and just kind of mix it up a little bit. But I do think that no matter what, you have to find time for yourself and your partner needs to find time for their self, right? So it's just, it's important that you take time to, like, I'm glad you're reading that book on the power of self-compassion or that audio book, because that is like super important. Like, I keep coming back to that. Like, how can we be expected to have empathy and compassion for others if you're not doing it to yourself? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just like to, and sometimes we we will just be focused on helping others and we end up burning ourselves out because we're not taking care of ourselves. And the best way to help others is by taking care of yourself first, re-energizing, powering up. And if you do that right, man, you can help so many more people. Yeah, definitely. Just spending some time trying to understand your own mind, right? Even like, not even in, in the kind of esoteric sense, understand your own mind, but like the physiological processes of the human brain, right? Spend some time to understand that and hack that and then use that to your advantage to then be compassionate, right? Like, you know, there's the part of the brain, the reticular activating system, where it's like whatever it is that you're predominant thinking, the predominant thoughts in your head seem to dominate everything. It's the reason why we see the car we just bought everywhere, right? It's because that reticular activating system. Likewise, the thoughts you think, you are going to continually perpetuate that as you go about your yep. day. But yeah, thank you for sharing that advice. Yeah, I was going to share with you, and there's a book about called The Body Keeps Score, which is all about like mind body and how anxiety, trauma impacts us. It goes into the science of it. So just what you're talking about, that's an excellent yeah. book that kind of talks about why therapy can be really important and time alone and journaling and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to check that book out. And yeah, that's definitely something I had to get back to is my journaling. I'm like I have my journal right here, scared to open it to see when I last wrote because I haven't had time to sit but down and just process things. But it's been at least a month and a half since I've written in this thing. So I've got to get gotta get back to it. I'll put it here instead of off to yeah. the side. And I was going to say, and RP, by the way, because you like doing podcasting, another thing that I do too, because sometimes I have no desire to write by hand. So sometimes I'll type it. But then because I got into the whole podcasting in my car with downshifting, which was kind of a experiment, like I will sometimes just turn on a mic and just talk about something or I'll go on a walk and just talk it out. And I found that not only helpful to process things, but also as you're working on like, how do I become a better communicator? Like, well, one way I could practice by talking about my feelings alone yeah. in the car. Like that is, I found that to be super helpful because when I go, when I go to therapy, like that's what I'm doing. I'm talking out loud yeah. about my feelings and I've been going to enough therapy that I know questions they are going to be asked to me. <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> responding to those questions. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a really good tip in terms of just thinking about questions that you could possibly be asked so that you're prepared to answer them. So I know we're running long on time. Do you still have a few minutes? I'm all good. Yeah, I'm all good. I just want to ask a last question before we jump into a lightning round. And that's what's the one thing you want people to learn from your story? Dude, Harpeet, you got like the questions, man. That's a, geez, that's a really big question. Think about that. My story. 
I think right now my answer would be that I want to I want people to be encouraged through. I guess what I would say is that, and I'm I'm reading this book on this right now, so this is why it's coming to me. Is that life is very very hard and tragic, and there is trauma that is done to us. We might inflict trauma on others, and how do we rise from that? How do we come out of that to become healers? I think uh, maybe my my answer would be that there are people all around us that are hurting. And when those people come into your life, how can we be an encouragement and love to that person? And there are people in in our lives right now that haven't told us they're having a hard time. And the only way you're going to find out is by spending time getting to know them and building that relationship and that trust. And over time and over building that trust and relationship, people might begin to open up about how they're feeling. And everyone has something to share. Everyone has a hard thing they've gone through or are going through, or they will go through in the future. And if you can be that person that they can go to because they trust you, like how can we be, be good healers? How can we be good, helpful people to those that are hurting? I'm trying to be that. I'm trying to be that right now. And I hope that that's what I continue to do is like, how am I helping others that are hurting? And so for me right now, like I said in, in earlier, like I'm right now, my thing is like, I'm taking care of my family. I'm taking care of the people that are on my team, the people that I'm interacting with, my friends, like that's my circle. And so that's at the bare minimum, I should be taking care of those people that are in my own community. And then, and then I should also be thinking about, okay, there are all these other issues that are out there that are also super important. I'm thinking about uh, the pride movement. I'm thinking about Black Lives Matter, all these other really important issues too. And I'm like, okay, these are all really important too. And I, I need to also be investing my time in educating myself so that when I encounter people that are part of different communities that are hurting, that I can also be helpful and caring um, in the right way. But I think it starts with yourself, right? And then your cir- your community around you, your group, and then like, and then looking outward, like how can I get involved? And and I think that the other thing we have to be careful of is like, there's so many things that we can get involved with and like focusing in on, okay, what are those really key areas where I can really, I think, make an impact? So I, I know that I'm just like, I spoke all over the place, Heartbeat, so you can edit oh, however you see fit. <laughs> That's deep, man. That uh, it got me right here, man. It's really good. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's a beautiful message to share. Whoever is listening, the 10 people that are subscribed to my podcast. Uh, <laughs> thank you for sharing that, Mike. So go ahead and jump into the lightning round. What's your superpower? Superpower. Okay. So I've never done, how many questions are in the lightning round? <laughs> uh, there's, just, there's just a few. Like Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, superpower, making mistakes. <laughs> I make lots of mistakes and I learn and I try to learn from them. What's the number one book you'd recommend, fiction, nonfiction, or if you want to pick one from each that you would recommend our audience to read and your most impactful takeaway from it? Oh my gosh. All right. So the book that has meant a lot to me lately, it's a book by Richard Rohr and it's called Falling Upward. Mm. And I read it, I got introduced to Richard Rohr from a podcast. And then I was doing some research on Amazon. I found that book and it was like highly rated and I don't know, like a thousand reviews, five stars. And so I was like, oh, there must be something to it. And it's all about basically like this idea of like, we're all going to go through hard times. And some of these moments are going to be very, very, 
dark, hard moments. And it's basically kind of a, a map. Like, this is coming. If you haven't already gone through it, it's coming. Be aware of it. And then kind of like, but here's a way out. Here's a way to come out of these really tragic, traumatic experiences and grow in love and compassion. And hopefully we move in that direction because the other direction we can go in oftentimes, and I've been there, you go through something traumatic, hard time. Uh, there could be a death in the family and you go through a sickness. It's very easy to grow bitter. It's very easy to grow angry. And that's a very justified response in many cases. If you go through something tragic, traumatic, anger can be the right response. Bitterness can be the right response. Like you can feel all that stuff. And Richard's saying like, hopefully after those things pass, we can grow in love and empathy down the line. And that's kind of the ultimate goal for us that we can move in that direction and not stay in a place of bitterness and anger because that's not going to be helpful to us in the long run. But what's going to be helpful to us in the long run is moving to a place of empathy and compassion. And then how do we then help others that are in those moments? So again, like, it's so all following upward, I found, as you can tell in today's podcast, I've been talking a lot about compassion and empathy, but a lot of that is from like Richard's words and reading following upward. And also just from going through my own experiences, I find that to be a very helpful book. I wish I read it earlier in life. I mean, I'm 45. I wish I read it in my 30s because it talks about things that I, not to say that I would have understood everything. And there is a lot of metaphor in the book, a lot of spiritual language. And so I don't catch everything, but it would have been a helpful guide for me, but I find it to be a, a great, great book. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'll add that to the show notes. How do you spell the last name? Is it R-O-A-R, just like Roar? Oh, sorry. It's called R-O-H-R. Richard R-O-H-R. Roar. Okay. Yeah. And what was the name of the book again? It's called A Falling oh, Upward. Falling he upward. has a bunch of different books. That that book is probably one of his most popular. And like I said, I was like, it's been one of those books that I've had. I've probably read certain chapters a hundred times. Like literally, it's been one of those books I've had by my nightstand. I've, I carry it in my backpack all the time. It's been a, like a nice, and, and it talks, it's not like comfortable reading, right? When you're reading about things about hard times and he has chapters called like the shadowlands and necessary stumbling and dark nights of the soul or like themes that he covers and it's like so it's like heavy stuff yeah. but it's like to me it's like meat it's like so nourishing yeah. to read about this and reading about how others ahead of us have gone through difficult seasons and how they've gone through them like I, I feel very empowered by those types of books I love biographies like reading about how people have overcome adversity like I, I feel very I love reading those stories Awesome. Um, those speak to me. It's awesome. Yeah. I like those type of books as well. Um, actually, I've been reading a lot of uh, books from the Stoics, like Seneca, Marcus Aurelius. Mm. I was reminded, based on what you just said, about how we respond to things that happen to us, right? The Stoic way of thinking is there's the event and then there's the after event, the reaction. But in between that is our judgment and our perception of what it is that occurred. You can make a choice how you respond to whatever event happens to you, whether it's good, tragic, or you know anything in between. The choice is still yours how you respond to it um, so that i don't know if that message was anywhere in that book that you're talking about but it, it seems like there might be some alignment between those type of ideas so yeah yeah so if we could somehow get a magic telephone that allowed us to contact 18 year old mike what would you tell him well first of all 18 year old <laughs> mike where where was he where was he at what was he doing you know what would you tell him oh man that's another really good question the young Mike 18 year old Mike I'd probably tell him this is actually a picture that I saw it was basically about hard times and it was a picture of like my future self talking to my younger self in the hard time basically saying like you're gonna get through this I think that one of my messages would be that you're gonna have some big things are gonna happen some very painful things are gonna happen come 
coming up and you may not handle them great, but you will get through this and you will become a better person because of it. But just know it's coming. The goal is to pursue love, compassion, and empathy on yourself and others. That's what I would say. My younger self probably be like, huh, what are you talking about? It's <laughs> good advice. So what song do you currently have on repeat right now? Oh my gosh. So uh, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm on Spotify. I love Spotify. Yeah. Same and here. so I, as you know, like I love hip hop. I, I've been a huge hip hop fan for a really, really long time. And a new artist that, and actually not a new artist, an artist has been around for a while that I've never listened to, but I'm totally into the new album is The Weeknd. Uh, Have you yeah. heard of The Weeknd? Yeah, yeah. So his new album, like someone said, oh yeah, I was at my dentist's office. My dentist was like, you got to listen to The New Weeknd. I was like, oh, what's that? I never listened to The Weeknd. She's like, you haven't? Like, oh, the new stuff is like Stranger Things and kind of vibe 80s kind of vibe and I was like oh really because I'm into like, I like hip-hop and I, I like punk rock and so I've never really listened too much to kind of that style of music at all and so anyways so the new album from the weekend like it was one of those albums I've, I've listened to probably like 30 times like the entire thing which is really rare for me because generally I'll listen to an album and I'll listen to like one or two songs over and over again but you find those one songs I'll just keep playing yeah. them for some reason I could just play the weekend and do my work and then I play it again and then play it again and I'll go on bike rides and listen to the entire album so it's very unusual because it's not really my style of music but now it is <laughs> i absolutely love and the song called snow child is like one of my favorites um on the album so that's that's um that's fantastic one of my favorites oh and by the way the new i don't know if you saw but i'm a big fan of post malone too and uh, he did a youtube live event where he covered nirvana like for a full set and i'm a huge nirvana fan too nirvana came out when i was, when I was in high school so i just like fell in love with them anyway so post malone covered nirvana for like an hour and a half he did the YouTube live so you can watch it on YouTube. Did you it's, do it justice? It was fantastic. Really? I was All like, right. I was not excited. I mean, I love Post Malone and I wasn't expecting, I was like, he, I think he'll do a decent, because I've seen him do like acoustic sets and stuff and he's a very good musician so I was like expecting him to do a decent job. He like did a great job and he covered like great songs and not like typical songs you would expect. Just like really good songs that I listened to. Like I really, like when I was in high school, like these are songs that I really loved that weren't even popular on the radio so much. Like he did, he obviously covered some popular ones but I was like surprised with a set list. It was really couple, good. What are a couple of ones that stood out to you? Uh, the Francis Farmer song, which oh, is like I think yeah. the first. I love he'll that one. A, Francis Farmer will have a revenge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he opens with that one. I was like, dude, this is gonna be a good set, and he just nice. he did such a great song. He did such a great job. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I love Nirvana too back in the days. So, Mike, how can people connect with you? Where can they find you? Yeah, so I on LinkedIn. Yep, Mike Delgado on Twitter at Mike Delgado. Those are probably the two best places. I think LinkedIn is probably the best. And I have a website, MikeDelgado.org. But I think LinkedIn is probably the, the easiest way to message me. Right on, Mike. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to sit and chat with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Harvey. This is great questions. That was a lot of fun. Thank you.